Hello and welcome to Tales from Mysteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. And by we, I mean us, the boyfriends. I'm Billy Ray. And by fair view, we mean sprinkled and peppered with uh, bias (laughs) for our favourite characters. Just a tad. (laughs) And I'm Joel. (laughs) And today we are going to be reviewing season three, episode 22 of Desperate Housewives. What would we do without you? In this episode, I'm going to be doing the breakdown and going through all the bits, and Joel is going to give us some trivia, maybe some sprinkled in. Do you have anything to start us off with? Sure. So this episode was written by Bob Daly and directed by Larry Shaw, and the episode aired on May the 13th, 2007. The episode title, What Would We Do Without You?, is a song taken from the Stephen Sondheim musical Company. The translations are as follows. The French is 1001 Questions. The German is the question of all questions. Hungarian, the big question. Italian is just questions. And the Polish is the world would be empty without you. I like the German one. The German one is definitely the best one. Like the question of all questions. Like what's the question? Like it's really exciting. I want to know. Yeah, it makes me want to watch the episode just to know the question, whether I care about the characters or not. Mm. Zane Hewitt, who plays Parker Scarvo, can actually play the trumpet in real life. The trumpet? The trumpet. Really? So he's, when I say he can play the trumpet, it's not like Ferris Bueller when he like picks up the guitar or whatever and he's like, I've never had one lesson. That's clarinet. Easy A's the guitar. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But he could actually play the trumpet. Uh, Ricardo Antonio Shavira submitted the episode for consideration on his behalf in the category of Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series at the 2007 Emmy Awards. God knows why, because I don't really know what he does very much in this episode. Not much, in all honesty. (laughs) No offence to, like, Ricardo Antonio, but of all of the episodes we've seen Carlos in so far, this would probably be one of the lower ones where I would submit for a comedy. Yeah, like, you're pretty and we love you. But when you put yourself next to the acting from, like, Lynette, for example, it's like, are you sure? Oh, yes, because this is a tough episode for Lynette. I think maybe Felicity deserved an acting award, but I've been saying that a lot. Yeah. Um, So, although mentioned in the very first episode, this is actually the very first time we have ever seen a member of the Sims family appear on the show. Have they been mentioned? Yeah, they were mentioned in episode one. Okay. Desperate Housewives, when Mike first turned up and he was renting, he, like Susan was talking to him and he's like, I'm just renting The Sims place down the street. So it's a nice little bit of continuity. Yeah, yeah, a nice little bit, which is, as shady as this might sound, surprising for Desperate Housewives. Yeah, there are some shows which are bang on with their continuity and Desperate Housewives isn't always one of them. No, there are, they have dropped the ball in some scenarios of continuity. Yeah, it's not quite on par with like The Office and avatar the last airbender where every single thing you see will come back later it has such huge lore and whereas this one they explain something and then later they'll just redact it yeah (laughs) or it's just never mentioned again despite the fact that it probably raises more questions than anything else and finally this episode marks the very last episode which we have zero appearance from Marsha Cross. Next episode, we get the return of Ms. Bree Vanderkamp Hodge. Thank God. Thank God. I'm so excited to have her back. We're finally going to get um, a fourth storyline that might not feel like filler. Yeah. Um, and that's all the trivia I have so far. I will say, I listen to this podcast in the car because I like to listen out for any errors that I can mm. correct just in case. And it's actually a pretty good podcast. If I do say so myself. <laughs> Again, guys, remember at the beginning when I said it's sort of peppered with bias? 
I think <laughs> this, this is, is an example of it. I think it's quite good. I quite enjoy listening to it. I actually think it's quite funny. Oh, and I, I, I like hearing your voice throughout the day. I find it to be a bit of a chore, really, if you ask me. Like, <laughs> every Saturday, I'm like, oh, I get to listen to Joel. <laughs> you get to listen to me every day. Yeah, but on my lunch break. I spit ill shit on the daily, babe. <laughs> like, <laughs> so... I normally thank the listeners, but right now I'm like, you know what? You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thanks, boyfriends, <laughs> for providing this grade A content. I'm actually very humble in real life. I promise. Well, let's get started then. So previously, Carlos discovered that he desperately wants a child. Tom asked Rick if he was sleeping with Lynette. Rick then tried to get Lynette to admit that she has feelings for him, and she fired him. And Susan finally got with Mike. Would that account for wrongful dismissal i guess maybe like if rick wanted to take that further like i i was fired because my boss had feelings for me in all fairness he was only a temporary fix he was only a temporary fix but you could really screw over scarvo's pizzeria with that you could try but as a temporary fix it probably wouldn't work no and he was probably still in his probation (laughs) maybe yeah that's true so it's been exactly one year since mike and susan were originally going to get engaged and they're on a date in a nice restaurant so Susan thinks that Mike's going to propose to her tonight. So one year ago, Mike was hit by a car. Yeah. By Rex. By Orson. Sorry. Orson. <laughs> Poor old Rex has done nothing but lay in his grave innocently. And you're there accusing him of shit he didn't do. I mean, he also like pushed Mary Alice's spirit down the stairs so he can narrate an episode. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's fine. Mary Alice deserves a day off at least from narration. You know, she I'm imagining she doesn't get much time to enjoy the perks of heaven when she's there narrating about her friends' mess, messed up lives. Or however. <laughs> <laughs> but as the night goes on, Mike fails to live up to Susan's fantasy. We have a few gag shots where Mike does that he looks like he's going to propose thing, such as getting on one knee to tie a shoelace. Yeah. Or putting his hand in his pocket to retrieve a tip for the violin player. This is why you just, you never expect a proposal. No. Just never expect, it's always disappointing. You always end up disappointed when you expect a proposal. That's why you just don't do it. On the drive home, Susan lets Mike know exactly why she's upset, saying that she thought he would propose to her tonight and that it would have turned the memory of a horrible night into a good memory. They then pull up outside a lit-up trailer, exactly the same as the one one year ago, and Susan goes up to it all gobsmacked, sits at the table, and Mike gets on one knee and proposes to her. Well, he goes to propose to her, but before he can ask the question, Susan blurts out, Will you marry me? And Mike just says, yes. See, if Susan is so eager, then why didn't she just propose to him in the first place? He's like, I kind of had a speech planned, but yeah. (laughs) Women can propose too. Monica did it in Friends, and it was beautiful. Of course you have to bring up friends. (laughs) Of course I have to bring up friends. That's the only show I've seen where the woman actually proposed to the man. In all fairness, I can't think of any examples. So (laughs) So, like Monica proposed to Chandler and it was possibly one of the most iconic moments in that television series. That's because as someone who isn't a big fan of friends, I think it's okay. Monica and Chandler were the best part about friends. They were the best part. They were the most consistent, most real. Obviously, um, Lisa Kudrow was great. Rachel mm. Green is an amazing character. But couple-wise, they were, like, the best to me. They were couple goals yeah. for, uh, from from the get-go, yeah. But, but we're not like, talking about that. We're talking about we're Desperate Housewives. We're not. We are talking about Desperate Housewives. But, she, like, she went rushing into it with Mike. Like, how long has it been since the Hot Springs incident? Yeah, I know. Because she's sat there already, like, just waiting for a proposal. Glad that her ankle's better. Yeah, true. And also, she sat, at the end of season two, she sat there for six hours 
waiting for Mike to turn up, thinking that he hated her. She was like, I sat in front of that trailer for six hours. Six hours, girl? If he hadn't have turned up 20 minutes after the agreed time, I'd have just found someone else to marry. Right, six hours. That is such a Susan thing to do. Yeah. After <laughs> five hours, she was like, well, this is a bit ridiculous, but I guess it could still happen. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so we have a montage of Tom asking Annette questions, such as, did I lock the front door? Did you remember to buy shaving cream? And can I still pull off this look? Well, oh, and for that last one, he's standing looking in the mirror with like a black vest top. And I was like, yes, you can. Tom cannot pull that look off. I think he looks pretty good. But I'm also a sucker for a guy in a vest. So I wouldn't kick him out of bed if he wore that. But I wouldn't recommend walking around in it. <laughs> no, like it's like a, a nice thing to wear around the house when you're feeling lazy. You don't want to have to dress up or anything, but don't yeah. leave the house. <laughs> and Mary Alice says that some questions are so dangerous that the truth is not an option. And we cut to them at the table with the kids having breakfast. So yeah, the the theme is questions. Yes. And questions unanswered. The scene is super awkward as no one is talking and Parker calls out, asking Lynette, are you mad at daddy? <laughs> I love that instantly he's like, are you mad at dad? What did dad do now? Right. And Lynette goes on to say that they're not, not talking is actually a sign of a good relationship. We establish from this scene that Lynette's been ignoring Tom at work for pretty much all week. And Parker ends the scene saying, sorry I asked. Tom, in this scene, dragged his kids into their drama. Like, it's really like when Lynette's like, oh, I probably, you know, didn't realise I didn't have time to chew the fat. Like, the sign of a good relationship is being comfortable with silence. And then Tom turns to Kayla and he was just like, although I wouldn't call whatever, whatever it was yesterday at work, comfortable. He said... Although mummy ignoring me at work last night wasn't exactly comfortable. Exactly. There we go. That's what he said. And I'm just like, can can we not be dragging your kids into these bitchy, shady comments, please, Tom? Again. You've, yeah, right? Yeah. He does it all the fucking time. If you've got a problem with Lynette, it needs to be sorted out between you and Lynette. Don't drag the kids into it and don't be shady to your children either. <laughs> and he says that um, it cuts to Kayla, who like looks back and forth from them. Like she's enjoying the tension. Kayla loved it. Kayla absolutely loved the fact that Tom was rinsing Lynette. Right? It's okay, daddy. She's trash. She's there like, get her, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> she loved it. <laughs> We then cut to Susan and Mike, who are also having breakfast together. And Susan is leaving voicemails, presumably for a lot of people. But right now, she's leaving a voicemail for the florist, who was going to be doing the flower arrangements at her and Ian's wedding. It's quite a funny message, because she's like, The wedding's back on, and we were wondering if you'd still do the flowers. Oh, and Ian isn't the groom anymore. Long story. Bye. (laughs) After this ridiculous message, Susan asks Mike if he's really okay with them having the wedding. But her and Ian's wedding... The wedding that her and Ian were supposed to have. Mm-hmm. But Mike seems fine with it, saying, I stole his bride, guess that means I can poach his florist. Two scenes in a row with utter disrespect. <laughs> this episode should just be titled Disrespect. Like, I'm sorry, but Susan is lucky that she is not a gay man. Why is that? Because of the whole... Because We'll if, just do the same wedding. If you were to keep the same wedding that you planned with an ex for me, I would be livid. I there would, need, there would no longer be a wedding. I would retract my proposal and be like, sorry, you're on your own. The disrespect. (laughs) I know that a lot of work's gone into it, so I get... I I understand why you'd want to just still do it, because otherwise you lose out on a lot of money. But also, that whole wedding's just gonna reek of you and Ian. Yeah, why would you even feel comfortable as the organiser of the wedding, Susan? Why would she even feel comfortable knowing full well that that wedding is just gonna, for Mike, be like the... This would have been... Susan and Ian's. And what if everyone, what if people keep accidentally saying Ian? Right. Like the the DJ person's like, and here's the first dance for Susan and Ian. (laughs) Yeah, the message doesn't get back to the DJ. It's going to be awkward. It's just like Mike's going to spend the entire wedding there. Like, I'm cutting Susan and Ian's cake. I'm having the first dance that should have gone to Susan and Ian. You know, things like that. So I 
I think it was really disrespectful of Susan to even consider it. This is, for Susan and Mike, very clumsy. I don't think it was clumsy of Mike. I think Mike is just keeping the peace. I don't think he's thinking it through. I think he's being a straight man. Yeah, he's definitely being a straight man. He's oh, just well, there, it'll like, save money. What could go wrong? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I've already poached his bride. I might as well steal everything else of his. Mm, he not... probably just thinks it's funny. He's getting like a big, massive boner out of it or something. Oh, God, okay. Susan thinks that she's forgotten someone and Mike reminds her that <laughs> she needs to re-invite all of the guests as Julie, queen of the children, uninvited everyone. Poor Julie get, got that job of calling every guest and telling them the wedding is cancelled. Right, I would have been like, Mom, no, come on. Yeah, Susan's there like, oh, Julie, I'm going to run up to the Hot Springs and get Mike. Can you do me a favour? Whilst I'm there for the next two days, can you call every single person that was coming to mine and Ian's wedding and tell them it's no longer happening? But only on our side, I'm assuming that Ian will tell his family. You know, if you did it these days, just mass text. Yeah, just right? a Facebook group. <laughs> So Victor approaches Gabby and jokingly asks what's wrong by saying that she'll get wrinkles if she keeps drowning. <laughs> oh, men. Gabby then tells Victor that she can't find a good flower girl. And after a shady remark about little Penny Scarvo's lack of flower girl's skills, Victor suggests that maybe they ask their maid if they can use her daughter. And he shows Gabby a picture of her to, to which Gabby's delighted, saying that apparently the maid's daughter looks just like she did at that age. I saw her at the school talent show, and we are talking zero charisma. Rude. Very rude. Gabby then tells Victor how happy she is that he's so into the wedding, and not just trying to get an award for, like, the straightest moment from Joel by doing literally nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, how low are our expectations of straight men when all a guy has to do is suggest a flower girl, and we're pretty much throwing a parade for him? I know, right? The bar is so low. Right? And he's like, oh, well, um, my cleaning lady, you know, the woman that I sort of see dusting around me on the daily, uh, has a little girl that looks like you because the cleaning lady that I hire is Latina as well. Um, and so the, her daughter looks like you. And so I thought, oh, here we go, a little girl that we could use. Oh my god, the amount of rich white man in this one this one scene. <laughs> right? And I'm just, oh Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, and then Gabby's like, I love how you're so into this wedding. I'm like, girl, he's done one thing. The bar is thing. so low. The ants can't even limbo. Yeah. What the hell? And also, to point out, he didn't really do anything, okay? He just saw a girl and, and was like, yeah. yeah, cool, here you go. But he didn't birth this girl. This girl is of no relation to him. It's pure luck that this woman is his cleaning lady. He suggested his maid's daughter. You're probably going to have to do the work to actually get her to do it as well. Yeah, right, I <laughs> And like, it's a maid's daughter. Like, that's all it is. You've got no connection to this girl whatsoever. You've never seen her before except in a photo. So how do you know she's going to have more charisma than Penny? Because she looks like Gabby. That's yeah. all that's going through her head. <laughs> yeah, probably. Edie comes downstairs looking a bit rough but still extremely gorgeous with her long wavy hair and just wearing one of Carlos's tops. And Carlos asks how she's feeling. She blames her ill health on bad paella, but Carlos reckons the half bottle of tequila that she drank might also have something to do with it. Mike then walks in to grab some stuff to take over to Susan's, and he announces to them that him and Susan are getting married. He warns them that the wedding fever is catching, which Carlos laughs at, and this pisses off Edie, who doesn't get why the thought of them getting married is so funny. <laughs> this leads to another Edie and Carlos argument about how she cares about him, and he pretends that he cares the same. You know, we've had it, like, for episodes. Now. Yeah, yeah. And Carlos ends it by saying that he's only just signed the rent on, you know, for Mike's place. So basically, he couldn't afford a wedding anyway. No, he's just signed the lease. And so begins Edie and Carlos's storyline for the episode. Very, like, B-story. 
Yeah, well... Mm, Side story. Yeah. But it's funny. It is funny. It is funny. And I do think that it grows into an A story. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. This is just the beginnings of the story. But it is, for the, for the, for the sake of this episode, a, a B story. Yeah. Really. In all fairness, Edie, he hasn't really made out that he loves you. No, it's just Edie's desperation, I guess, to be loved by someone. Yeah, because she wants him to love her. But of course she has concerns after how Carlos has behaved with regards to her relationship anyway. Oh, yeah. Of course she's got concerns. I would be second-guessing every single little thing as well. Oh, yeah, of course. But when he laughs at the the thought of marriage, it's like, well, in all fairness... (laughs) I didn't realise it was such a thigh slapper. (laughs) (laughs) We then have Edie concocting a delicious plan. So she visits the old lady who owns Mike's place, Mrs. Sims, in a pretty cool looking care home it's yeah pretty fancy looking she's right? having she's like having tea outside or something and they're all playing what's that game called crochet yeah the one they play on heathers no croquet crochet crochet is the uh crochet is the knitting thing. yeah 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 right and she even tells edie a little bit in like later in the scene oh but what i get for like getting renting more than makes up for this place and i'm just like jesus how much do you rent out your place for yeah she pretends to be sorry for not visiting before now and mrs sims starts talking about how the money that she makes for, you know, all the rented accommodation base for this home. Edie then says that Mike's place is going to be empty, and Mrs. Sims says that someone else is already moving in. Carlos Solis? And this is where Edie starts to enact her devious plan. When Mrs. Sims says that Carlos is moving in, Edie says, oh dear, and basically convinces her that Carlos has a drug problem. Hmm. And we've got a, a clip. What did Mike tell you about Carlos? Oh, just that he's a nice, responsible man. Oh, well, he is when he's sober. He has a drinking problem. Well, actually, what I heard is... What am I doing? I shouldn't be indulging in idle gossip. Edie, please. Smack. He does smack. Good heavens. Oh. Oh, he seems such a nice man when I met him, and he's got a good job. I know. What is that term? Functional junkie. (laughs) <laughs> functional junkie god she's like the puppet master isn't she she really is Edie also brings up prostitutes yep <laughs> and mrs Sims says that she's gonna have to tear up the lease but Edie, being as generous as always says that she can't let her do that because of her arthritis and tears it up for her excuse me as someone that deals with leases on the daily that was just two pages. That was not a lease. There is right. not a lease in the world that's only two pages long. When your lease is that short as well, you better be worried if anything goes wrong in that flat. Yeah. Because it doesn't say on there that they have to do anything about it if it's only two pages long. Exactly. Are you so, kidding? So, Ellen Gear, who plays Mrs. Sims, was born in New York in 1941 and has since served from 1978 as artistic director of the Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum. Oh, okay, what's that? Which is a professional repertory open-air theatre in Topanga Canyon, California. What's an open-air theatre? It's, like an, it's an outdoor theatre. Oh, okay. Essentially. Gear has also served as a visiting associate professor teaching acting at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Theatre for 12 years. And she has nearly 200 acting credits, including Star Trek, which her mother also had a guest spot for, ER, Dallas, CSI, Charmed, Bones, and Supernatural. Of course she's been in CSI. Yeah. (laughs) And ER, Star Trek, everything. Right. What do you think of Edie's plan here? Are Um, you standing? I mean, I think it's wonderfully devious. I'm not surprised. 
that she's doing this. She's already conned her son, so why not con this poor old lady as well? I. It's so funny. This poor old lady <laughs> is getting proper rinsed by Edie right now. She's like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. And Edie's like, I feel awful about that. She didn't feel awful about that. Of course she didn't feel awful. But at the same time, Edie's doing what Edie does best. Manipulating. Yes. The cogs that are turning in her head. I love it. She always has a plan. Girl always has a plan. She's just like, well, if he can't live in there, he'll have to move in with me, won't he? Yeah. So I love this. Damn. Gabby is going for a jog and Susan calls her over as she goes past her house. At first, Gabby thinks that Susan is devastated about Ian leaving, but then she sees Mike walking in and Susan says that they're getting married and congratulates her. She then tells Gabby the wedding is back on for the same day, but Gabby says that she can't go because she's getting married to Victor on that day. This seems to upset Susan, but Gabby does say that she did cancel and all of her friends were already available. Mike then says it's no problem and that they can reschedule, but Susan's actually annoyed because Gabby didn't think that maybe Susan wouldn't want her to have spent what was going to be her wedding day at someone else's wedding. Oh, it's only a date. Mike then leads her back into the house before an argument can ensue. Thank God Mike is here to keep the peace. I get where Susan's coming from, in all honesty. Oh, I, do, I do get it. Um, see, for me, I'm like, it's only a date. I like, know, but people generally don't like it when you steal their wedding. Yeah, but it's one thing to steal <laughs> a wedding, in, which we'll get to later. But it's, um, it's another thing to just, like, steal a date. Like, you can't go around for the rest of your life like, oh, that you can't have that date because of this. You can't have that date because of that. Like, no, oh, of course. You can't get married on the 5th because that was when I got married to my husband before he died really randomly. It's a very Gabby thing to do. It makes sense for Gabby to do it. It makes sense. Her reasoning I, I think with... I would have maybe talked to Susan about it first. I would have. I think it's a bit... There's a lack of tact there... to, like, to do this. And then Susan just has to show up and walk around a wedding like, wow, this was going to be my wedding. Oh, my God. A lack of tact? From with, Gabby? From Gabby? I know. How dare you? How dare you? Who'd have thunk? Um, so, also, this proves my point. It's clearly not been very long since the Hot Springs incident if this is the first time Susan has seen Gabby since she's got back with Mike. So it's amazing that her ankle's fine. Yeah, and it's amazing that she's managed to get proposed to so quickly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, Jesus, Susan, you wait for three years for a guy, he goes into a coma, wakes up. <laughs> but maybe you should just replan your wedding so it's a you and mike wedding exactly i think this will push susan into a direction that is better for their relationship in general yeah i mean mike doesn't seem to care no he's like well we'll reschedule whatever who cares he's so handsome (laughs) who mike Mike. where did that come from i just i just i noticed it extra in this scene (laughs) not in the last scene when his shirt was all undone no i noticed it then too but there he was sexy and here he's handsome okay well anyway we then cut to susan going over to gabby's house Gabby answers the door and Susan apologises for earlier. The florist that Susan left a message for earlier then comes up to the door to say to Susan that after she cancelled her wedding, her friend Gabby scooped him up. Scoop me up, Francois. Love Francois. Francois's great. Susan is now annoyed that Gabby stole her florist. But Gabby sees it not as stealing, but more as a homage mm. to Susan. <laughs> what the hell kind of an excuse is that? <laughs> The florist then leaves, and Susan lets herself in to see that the f- to see the flowers, and she acts really upset to see that they're the same tulips that she was going to have. Susan sarcastically says that she might as well have used her caterer and band, and Gabby kind of admits awkwardly that she has done those things as well. Damn, Gabby stole her whole wedding. The whole wedding. Not just the date. Now, this is where I would have the problem. I understand, like Gabby says in the scene, these things are booked. Like, people are booked months and months in advance. Yeah. So, to use the same person that 
did the flowers. That's not so like that. That's expected, especially in a small town. You yeah, know, it's, it's expected. Um, you know, maybe even the same band, I guess, at a push. But you, if you expand your radius, you will find lots of great bands that are willing to travel a little while. But yeah, to steal like the whole centerpiece, that's when it becomes copying. <laughs> How often does this happen? I would listeners. If someone has stole your wedding, or if you've stolen someone else's wedding, either either, because I'm in mean, queen moment. Yeah. Please let me know how it went. <laughs> Just let you know. How dare you? Okay, let us know. You know, when I, it was implied. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, do I just not exist anymore? <laughs> um, yeah, but do you know what? Especially if you were the person that stole the wedding. Oh, let me know your thoughts. I, I want to I wanna hear that story, okay? Right? Did, you, did you steal the wedding? Did you steal the groom? Did you steal the groom and the wedding? Like what? I stole their wedding purposefully. <laughs> and I had fun doing it. <laughs> We then have this ironically hilarious moment where Gabby says that she's doing her, she's doing Susan a favour, as Susan and Mike are getting married too fast anyway. And it's ironically hilarious because it's like, and you and Victor aren't? Mm-hmm. Re- like, really, Queen? And we have a clip. You met Victor three months ago. I've known Mike three years. Yeah, on and off. Mostly off. What if you tie the knot in a month and realise that you miss Ian and Mike misses the coma? Okay, you know what? I came over here to give you my response card, but here, this is my response. You don't mean that. That's just a big dramatic gesture. Oh, no, this is a big dramatic gesture. My flowers! No, they're my flowers! Enjoy your stolen wedding! Yikes forever. Right. <laughs> that was messy. Right. And you, you, there was a, I can't remember if you said this now, that um, Gabby offered to pay her 10000 Oh, as I didn't. Her, as her, to be like essentially her wedding planner. She was like, you, you, you know, plan my wedding. You deserve to get paid. And so then she was like offering sums of money and like, That wasn't damn, tactful either. Susan, take the check. Right. It's not tactful, but at least you're getting some money out but of it. Susan is a mess in this scene. I'd be pissed. I would be pissed. The date is one thing, but stealing everything, like I said, like a centerpiece band and blah, 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 is something else. However, the minute a $10,000 check left Gabby's lips, I'd have found a way to deal. Right. And I'd be there throwing the rice. <laughs> I'd be like, you'll catch me at that front row, babe. I'll be at that wedding. You'd, you'd be throwing that rice very hard. <laughs> Although I don't think you're allowed to throw rice. Rice? Rice. I don't think you're allowed to throw rice at weddings anymore. But yeah, hell yeah, 10000 but ladies, this is really messy. You got Susan being all messy and throwing shit, and you got Gabby being really defensive and saying some things that maybe she shouldn't be saying. Yeah, damn, ten, I can't go over that ten thousand. Gabby's just said like, yeah, here, have have ten grand. <laughs> Move on from the ten thousand. I can't get over it, and I'm sorry, but when you guys watch the next episode of Desperate Housewives, Susan's gonna wish she took that check. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, the ladies are fighting. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> We then cut to Edie, who is walking over to Carlos's place to find Carlos being evicted by Mrs. Sim's son. Apparently, he has 22 hours. The weirdest thing is that she said she was praying for his soul. He then asks if he can move into Edie's place, who says yes and offers him to grab him some boxes from the garage right now. It then clicks with Carlos, and he asks if she had anything to do with this, saying it's quite the coincidence. And Edie replies with her, how dare you? How dare you? She then says that the real issue is his lack of commitment, and when she goes to ask why he doesn't want to move in with her, he admits that he doesn't love her. He starts to apologise, and Edie says it's awkward as her period's late, and she's been nauseous for two days, and she's just bought a pregnancy test. I mean, the problem we now have is that, can we believe Edie? Of course we can't believe Edie. 
Exactly. That's the problem we've now got. And I feel bad for, you know, not being able to believe Edie when Edie's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, well, I don't want to not believe a woman when she says she's pregnant. But at the same time, Edie, you've kind of forced my hand. Yeah, I mean, she knows Carlos wants a kid really bad. Yeah. In the next scene, Edie has just done a pregnancy test and they're both sitting there waiting for the result to come through. And Edie laments on how she's a 40-year-old woman who may or may not be pregnant with a man who doesn't love her. Laments. Good word. Thank you. And Carlos promises to be there for her and her child. Carlos then starts to talk about how one of the rooms could be a nursery, they could do a pirate theme, blah blah blah, and Edie seems happy that he'd want to move in, but then she stops him during his fantasy, as the test has come out negative. She offers him a drink, and he seems really bummed that he isn't having a kid. It's a really sweet scene to see Carlos get so excited about the possibility of a baby, and like start planning the room, and... Right, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's really sweet to see that. Because he really wants to be a dad. Yeah. Even with Trashfire Edie. And yeah, Carlos might not love Edie, but he would be a good dad to that kid. Oh, yeah. Like, he wants one so badly, you know, he would try so hard to be the best dad that he could possibly be. Right? He was so cute. Like, yeah. we could turn into a pirate theme, we could have the bed as a pirate boat and blah, blah, blah. And we can have this room as the nursery because it's right down the hall and yeah. And Edie's just watching him like, aw, how can I use this? <laughs> right? <laughs> if only he knew this was going to be negative. We then cut to Tom, who walks into the pizzeria with his friend Scott, who is a marriage counsellor. And Scott says it seems a bit weird to do a session where half of the married couple doesn't know that he's a marriage counsellor and that they're in a session. But Tom thinks it'll be fine. This is messy behaviour. Oh god, this is like worse than clumsy Susan. No, this is like, I don't even know how to describe it. This is like, a, yeah, this is a clumsy, Susan would do this shit. It's a bad plan. It is a real bad plan. He introduces Lynette to Scott and brings up his PhD, and they all sit down at the table, and we have this really weird and awkward scene where Scott is trying to counsel them without giving away that he's counselling them and that he's a counsellor. So obviously Lynette just refuses to answer all of his quite seemingly invasive questions. Right, and the confusion on Lynette's face when Tom's being open, <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, we've been having problems, and Lynette's like, "Fuck, what the fuck are you doing? I don't want to answer these weird questions to this stranger. Until it becomes quite obvious what's happening, and Lynette gets pissed off. She stands up, says that she's had her issues, but she doesn't want to talk about them right now, before doing a walk-off. Tom had to know that this is just going to make the problems worse, right? right? This is not how you go about marriage counselling Thomas Scarvo. And then poor Scott, who was just like, I have no idea what's happening here, tells Tom that he's billing him for the whole hour anyway, so if there's anything that's on his mind. <laughs> I would too. Tom just wasted an hour's worth of marriage counselling. Like, the money for an hour's worth of marriage counselling. I mean, Tom could take the counselling as well. Like, just himself. Bloody needs it. What a waste of money. What do you especially, call this? Ambush therapy? Especially on top of two different hospital bills in one season already. Yeah, true. From a gunshot wound and from Tom going to hospital for his back. Yeah, having surgery. You guys are just throwing money away. <laughs> mm. So, Susan is now hanging out with Lynette and Edie and giving them all of the gossip about her argument with Gabby. She then asks them if they think that she's overreacting, to which, at the same time, Lynette says, yeah, a little, and Edie says, absolutely not. Lynette tries to convince Susan that Gabby wasn't tactful, but maybe isn't coming from a bad place, and Edie tells Susan that Gabby is being a spoilt brat, and that she's stolen Susan's wedding, and she also divorced Carlos and won't let anyone date him. I've never met anyone else so selfish and manipulative. Lynette then says, speaking of Carlos, I heard he got evicted, and Edie responds with, yeah, that was a real shocker. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Such you stick to scene. your guns and don't you dare go to that wedding. <laughs> it was such a good scene. It was 
perfect timing. Yeah. I have never met someone so manipulative and dishonest. That's the one. So, like, I... When Edie and Susan get along, it's so much fun. It really is. And even after all that solid advice from Edie, Susan still agrees with Lynette. I think that Edie could give the best advice, but because it's Edie and she has a bit of a track record, Susan would be like, hmm, that sounds dubious. No, but I'm I'm <laughs> siding with Edie. Like, when Susan was there, like, she also said that I'd make him miss the coma, and Edie was like, <gasps> <laughs> Edie's that friend that you go to when you want to be validated for your feelings, though, right? Yeah, she's the one where, even though you know you're overreacting just a little bit, Edie, you know for a while you can go to Edie, and she'll be like, no, you're right, babes. Yeah, Edie will make you feel better. <gasps> what a sport brat. <laughs> You know? <laughs> Lynette says it could ruin her friendship, and Edie says, at least get her a crappy gift like a blender. I got you a blender for Christmas. Susan says that she got Edie a blender, and Edie says, and I use it every day. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> Just at least get her like a thoughtful or thoughtless crappy gift, like like a blender. I got you a blender. And I use it every day. <laughs> I love I just I love the gossip scenes. Yeah. Gossip scenes are fun. Yeah, and I like I like it when there's a gossip scene with both Susan and Edie and they're getting along. When Susan and Edie get along... Edie and the gossip scenes is so funny. There's just great chemistry and drama between the two characters. When yeah. They, when they get along, they really do complement each other. When they're getting along, it's hilarious. When they're fighting, it's hilarious. Either way, yeah. Susan and Edie in the same scene is always great. It's mm. a great time. We then cut to the first Susan staring out of a window moment that we've had in ages. Uh, it has been a while. It's been a minute. It's been a hot minute. Mm. She watches as Gabby pulls up and grabs a bottle of wine to take over to her house. But as she leaves, she finds Gabby coming up to her. They both start to apologise and Gabby gives her some chocolates and Susan gives her the wine. A little while later, they're both drinking the wine and eating the chocolates. And it sounds like they're both having some reservations about the wedding because... Susan says that Carl was nice at first and that all went down the toilet. And Gabby admits to being scared about her wedding because of her recent divorce. 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 I said divorce. Divorce. I meant divorce. They then both say that at least they have each other for support. And Gabby suggests that maybe they get married together. Mm-mm. And after Susan confuses this for a lesbian moment, Gabby says no, they could have a joint wedding. And Susan loves the idea. Gabby then says, probably a very famous Desperate Housewives quote, I imagine. You know, if I were a lesbian, I would totally do you. (laughs) And Susan just awkwardly responds with, that's good to know. Yeah. Like, Susan is so thrown off by lesbianism that she can't even... Joke about it. Right? (laughs) She can't even humour Gabby here. Famous quote in this episode. There's a famous quote in the next episode as well. Susan, Gabby's the most gorgeous person ever. Why can't you just be like, oh my god, me too? Right. You could have just said like, oh my god, yeah, I'd totally do you as well. (laughs) Like, it doesn't mean that you're going to go and do it. I don't think I would want a double wedding. No, never. I mean, I don't really like a lot of attention, but it's my wedding. Exactly. I would never have a double wedding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I couldn't have a double wedding. I'm going to find it hard enough sharing the spotlight at the altar next to you, let alone a double wedding. (laughs) You won't be sharing the spotlight. Don't worry. It's going to be thoroughly focused on you. (laughs) Oh, good. Thank you. Like, Susan is in this scene doing her best Forrest Gump impression. She's like, life is like a box of bonbons. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those hard jelly ones. Do you think that's an omen? Oh yeah, coming for the hard jelly ones. <laughs> I don't know what that, what does she mean by hard jelly ones? Isn't it like when you get a box of chocolates and one of them's like Turkish delightish? Oh yeah. Turkish delightish? Yeah, Turkish delight. I hate Turkish delight. Exactly. Gross. She's like, I got the Turkish delight. Is it a bad omen? That is a bad omen, girl. It is a bad, it really is a bad omen, right? Yeah. But they're clearly drunk because neither Susan or Gabby would like to share a wedding. No, no. Let's be honest. <laughs> 
So the next morning, Mary Alice narrates that often, brides-to-be that agree to have a double wedding late at night often feel differently the next morning. But she says it as if this is really common, so listeners, have you ever had a double wedding? Do you know someone that has? Wiki- or, I, I think you should message us about that. Or have you ever drunkenly requested a double wedding or suggested, not requested, uh, suggested a double wedding? Because Mary Alice Seems makes to- out like it's super common. Yeah, Mary Alice makes out like every woman and her mother has done this. <laughs> We then cut to Gabby waking up next to Victor, as well as Susan waking up next to Mike, and they both lie to their respective fiancés, both saying that they suggested it because the other one was feeling so bad and all needy and they were so excited. Mike says to Susan that she should tell Gabby that he forbids it so that she doesn't have to, and Victor tells Gabby that she has to undo it herself as the wedding day is important to him, as he doesn't want to share it with her friend and her ex-convict fiancé. And you're getting like that very different vibe from Mike and Victor. Yeah. Mike's all like, oh, don't worry, honey, I'll tell her, lol. But Victor's like, um, this is my day. I'm not sure I have an ex-convict and your friend. Yeah, Mike's there but... like, I'll I'll just tell Susan, that I'll tell Gabby that I forbid it. He's so sweet. He is really sweet. Um, so this is how you do it, girls. You blame it on the husband. So you go back to the other <laughs> girl and you go, I'm really sorry, but I spoke to him and he said no. And then the other girl can't argue back. You and blame he it suggested on the husband. it. Yeah. He's like, blame me. I don't care. Right? <laughs> Victor then talks about how there's going to be press at the wedding and that he doesn't want to share this big moment with anyone. And Gabby's like, well, how about the bride? Mm. And he just kind of says, well, everyone always looks at the bride and they'll all wish that they were you. As if to say, oh, honey, they'll wish they were you anyway, but it's really about me. The only people that are going to be paid any sort of attention to at this wedding are me and the flower girl. He then flat out says, we are not sharing the wedding. And he does a walkout. Ever since he got to become mayor, he's so shady. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure my wedding with an ex-convict. Like, Gabby's so gagged that it's going to be press at the wedding. She's like, press at our wedding? And I'm just like, don't worry, girl, you ain't Diana. <laughs> like, it's, only, it's press with a small P, okay? It's like a local newspaper. You're not going to have... <laughs> yeah, it's the mayor's getting married, not the king's getting married. Yeah, okay, exactly. I'm just like, <laughs> relax, okay? I don't think it's a good idea to tell your fiancé, as, as the man in the man and the woman relationship... This is my wedding. <laughs> yeah. Especially Gabby. He's like, well, this is my wedding. I'm like, oh, don't say that. Yeah, but you can't say that to me. Who would, say, who would say that to Gabby? That's a bad move. Yeah. So Carlos is talking to Edie about flats that he's looking at in the newspaper. And Edie suggests that maybe Carlos stays with her and they try for a baby. Ooh. The, the, <laughs> one of the properties he's looking at is like opposite a golf course. And I was like, is that really a safe bet? Like imagine the broken windows. Maybe it's not the swinging end. Like... <laughs> The swinging as in maybe it's the swinging end so they'll be going the other way the maybe balls. like just imagine you're sat there with your french pastry in the morning watching good morning britain or you know whatever person <laughs> is on gmtv or whatever it is um, good morning fairview yeah right um and then all of a sudden you just hear a smash and then the pastry flies out of your hand because a golf ball comes through the window and hits the pastry yeah you have to have like triple glazing yeah <laughs> you have like reflective windows that just bounces off <laughs> So Carlos is obviously quite dumbfounded by this suggestion, and Edie says that she's noticed how disappointed he was when the test came back negative, and she admits that she was a bit too. So Carlos says that this is quite a big step, and Edie says that everyone around them is taking big steps at the moment. She then says that everyone has to love someone, and it doesn't have to be each other, before asking him to think about it and getting in the shower. She then leaves him to think about it, and he glances down at the invitation for the weddings that are on the side, and he says, alright, let's do it. He says he's tired of waiting for his life to start, and Edie is super excited and wants to get started right away. When you say your life to start, it's like, well, you've you've got married, 
you've got a really well-paying job. You've gone to prison. Like, you've, I think life has started, mate. Yeah, you've done more than what most people have done. Right. <laughs> like, it's just... Oh, just the storyline of Gabby and... Not Gabby, sorry. Of Edie and Carlos deliberately having a baby is just a dysfunctional storyline. A little bit. I mean, like, I, know, I know you're desperate, mate, but come on. It's such a mess of a story. I really hate this storyline. <laughs> and Edie, maybe you should focus on building the relationship with the son you have before creating a new child. I know. <laughs> like, just my opinion. But she, if she enjoys actually being a mum like she claims to enjoy in this scene... You've already got a child out there that you don't have much of a connection with. So maybe you start forging a connection with that child before you start creating a new child with a man that has already openly admitted that he does not love you. Yeah, but spoiler alert, it's not about the child, is it? From an outsider's perspective, like not even from an outsider's perspective, scratch that. If I was Carlos, then yes, I would. my desperation for a child would probably be blinding me a little bit. But I would also probably be the one to sit there and turn to Edie and say, maybe we should focus on building a relationship with Travers. Yeah. He could just adopt on his own, but I think he made it quite clear that he's not all that up for adoption, really. Yeah, he was very vocal about making sure that the child was his, and also not sure it would fly well with an adoption agency, because he's got a criminal record. True. That night, Susan is taking out the trash, and she sees Gabby across the road. They both walk up to each other, and Susan says that she spoke to Mike, and he's not into the whole double wedding thing. So they're going to wait. Gabby and Susan both act relieved, and then Susan says that that sliver of a doubt she had about Mike is totally gone. And Gabby says, quite sadly, that must feel really great. But she has this look on her face, and she takes a moment to respond, and it seems that she's now starting to, to show that she isn't so sure about marrying Victor. Oh yeah, especially after last week's episode, where he was like, oh, do you know how much I love you? And she's like, I think so. I mean, he shouted at her. Yeah. For the first time, and it in was like... In front of a fireplace. Yeah, he acted really weird. Mm-hmm. So I, I get why she's showing reservations, especially after that, oh, this is my wedding thing. Yeah, of course. It doesn't seem like they've really spoken about the wedding properly. Gabby and Victor. Yeah, it sounds like maybe they've had conversations about flower arrangements and stealing Susan's everything, but they haven't really said, oh, and also all of the press is going to be there, and it's kind of a publicity stunt, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah. Well, Gabby sort of knows it herself to a certain extent, because even when, um, you know, she said it to Edie and Edie was like, wow, you are rushing through things. Well, that's quick. And Gabby was like, well, Victor decides that it's not doesn't look good for the mayor to be shacking up. So even she sort of openly admits herself that it is part of publicity stunt. I think she's starting to realise more and more it's not about her yeah. as much as she really thought it might be because it's a wedding yeah. and she's going to be the bride. But she's starting to realise this really isn't about me. No, and I imagine Victor has probably just turned to Gabby and been like, you plan it. But Mike has been so lovely that Susan has no doubts now. Mm. Which is sweet. Yeah, it is really sweet. We then cut back to Edie and Carlos, who both say they feel good about this, and how they don't care if their friends make fun of them. Gabby then goes in... Gabby? Shit. (laughs) Edie then goes into the bathroom to sneakily take her birth control pill and hides the pack in her handbag. I just, like, Edie has not hidden those pills very well. I mean, even Julie hid them better. Oh, Edie, so devious, all in one episode. Right. I mean, I know she's been devious throughout the second half of this season in particular, but this one episode, it's like thing after thing after thing. Yeah. She gets them evicted and then manipulates them into staying with her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's try for a baby. And she just wants sex. Yeah, pretty much. And they to stay with her. Mm. So while Lynette is reading a book in bed, Tom lays down and tells her that he spoke to his doctor and, with reasonable caution, he can have sex. <laughs> Lynette asks what this has to do with her. 
Sorry, I had to laugh. That was such a good sentence. <laughs> Lena asks, what does this have to do with her? And Tom says that maybe this is the one thing they can do together without speaking. But Lynette says that she was wanting sex more when she was giving birth to Parker and he was pulling out her uterus. Ew. What a wonderful image. Right. Tom says that if they don't have sex, then they can talk. So Lynette says, fine, let's have sex and climbs on top of him. She really doesn't want to talk. She really doesn't. No. She gets pretty rough with Tom until he's had enough and sits up and holds her hands back, saying that he wants to know what he's done to deserve this. And he's getting a little choked up. Right. This is what happens when straight couples read Fifty Shades of Grey and try kinky sex for the first time. She's just letting out her frustrations. She's there like, oh, oh. And Tom's there like acting like he can play rough. He's like, oh, you want to play rough? We can play rough. And then seconds later, he's telling Lynette to cut it out because it hurts. Oh, my back. (laughs) He said, well, no, he's like, ow, ow, that hurts. I was like, girl needs to take lessons from Rex Vanderkamp because he knows what sexual pain is. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) come on, Tom, step it up. No, but it was quite sad. And Lynette admits that she knows that he had lunch with Rick. Mm. She says that Rick never touched her and nothing happened. And Tom says that he wasn't going to wait for something to happen. He then says that he's glad that he made him quit. And Lynette says that he didn't quit. She fired him. The truth is out. The truth is out. (laughs) Tom seems surprised by this. And Lynette says that she had to do it because he admitted having feelings for her. Which he wouldn't have done if Tom didn't push her. So it's all his fault. Mm. <laughs> she then pushes him down and in frustration and he moans in pain because his back hurts. And so he throws her off of him and she hits her head on the bedside table on the way down. I mean, she definitely doesn't hit her head, but the show's going to make you believe like she hit her head. She hit her head with a sickening thud. A sickening thud. <laughs> and I, I was like, ooh, damn. Yeah, but she didn't hit her head. She hit the top of her back. Like, <laughs> really, this scene has always bugged me. But... In the story, she hit her head, In in the story, she hit her head. But in the actual scene, you visibly see she hits her back. uh, She might have hit her head when she fell onto the floor. He's, like, sitting up, like, ow, ow, my back, my back. But he's all like, Lynette? Honey? Honey? (laughs) (laughs) This was a really sad scene. This was a sad scene. But again, sadness isn't over. Oh, it's far from over. It's far from over. I was crying watching this episode. But it already starts out so sad with this argument. Yeah, this argument is tough. It was really horrible. Yeah. Especially to watch Lynette getting so frustrated that she's just so willing to hurt him. Yeah, pretty much. She she doesn't care. It's also horrible to watch straight people trying to do kinky shit. Yeah, it's awkward. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is this is the whole vibe of people that have been married 20 plus years. And they're like, let's spice it up. Yeah, especially them. <laughs> especially Tom and Lynette. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the kind of people that open a pizzeria who can't spell calzone. I don't want to watch them try and be kinky. No, but Tom did buy a Speedo for her. <laughs> even though that, <laughs> that is far from kinky, to be fair. That's just oh, yeah. a Speedo. Got the, best par- got, got the best outfit award. It did get the best outfit award because Doug looked great. But... Well, are you ready to get sad? <laughs> yes. No, I mean, no, but yeah. Well, we're going to get sad. Prepare. <laughs> Deal with it. We then cut to the two of them at the hospital, waiting for the doctor to look at the cat scan. And Lynette thinks that it's all ridiculous as so she just hit her head, but... Tom does say, well, you were feeling dizzy and throwing up. Mm. So you can't be too careful. And guys, listen to Tom here. And you I, cannot be too careful. I'll probably never say that again, but listen to Tom here. No, Tom is correct. After a moment of silence, Tom asks what Lynette said after Rick admitted that he had feelings for her. And Lynette says that she told Rick it was totally inappropriate and she fired him. He then asks if she has feelings for Rick, to which Lynette says, I would never cheat on you. And Tom's like, well, that's not really what I asked, is it? And Lynette responds with a sad look on her face and prolonged silence. Tom is upset about this, and Lynette says that nothing happened and it's over now. We then have a bit of a 
turning of the tables moment as Tom says, it's not over, they've been fighting all week about it. And when she goes to hold his hand, he pulls away and says that he can't do this right now. So it's like, she was mad, yeah. but now he's mad. If you slow it down just enough, you can see the exact moment where his heart rips in half. <laughs> it's like, they can't both be mad at each other at the same time, because yeah. she goes to comfort him. The doctor then walks in and calls both of them into the room. He tells her that it's just a bruise on her head, but he noticed something concerning in the CAT scan and says that she has swollen lymph nodes and wants her to get a biopsy. When Annette asks what he thinks is the problem, he says that it could be a number of things. She asks if any of these problems it could be are cancer, and the doctor says it could be lymphoma, and that he hopes the biopsy will rule that out. The doctor then shows them the CAT scan, points out the white areas of concern, starts talking, but the camera cuts down to Tom holding her hand under the table. Yeah. Has Lynette just not had enough sad scenes this season? I mean, can we just give Lynette a bloody break? Right? Like, she's had... Poor Lynette has had so many sad scenes this season. It's right? just... It's... Um, one person has gone through so much. She's really gone through it this <laughs> In season. In one season. Just like, jeez, I cannot believe it. But we now have another hospital bill as well. We do. And it's just, it's so sad to watch this moment. Like, to watch the moment Lynette admits to herself that she has, like, she had feelings for Rick. Like, she just, you saw the, the real, like, not, the, not necessarily the realisation, but you saw that moment where she admitted it to herself for probably the first time ever, really, that she had those feelings. And then for it to just be completely overshadowed by the CAT scan results. Mm. It's it's just such a mindfuck of a scene when you watch it and your emotions are flying from one end to the other. I think it's a really clever way to get past it, but also to have it in the background, in the back burner. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, well, we haven't really worked through this, but you could have cancer, so... Priorities. Right? Yeah. And it's kind of brought them back together a little bit. Like, Tom is annoying. <laughs> yeah. And he isn't always perfect, but to go from heartbreak to protection in just a few minutes... I want to do a shout out to Doug Savant because that he has got some great acting. Yeah. And him and Felicity Huffman work so well together. Oh, yeah. They, like they are my favorite couple. They have such fantastic chemistry when they're on scene together, no matter what they're doing, whether it's an argument, whether it's weird, kinky, straight sex, <laughs> like whatever. Yeah. So bravo. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. Very nice acting chops, you guys. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Mary Alice ends the episode by narrating about how our lives are filled with questions. She says most are easily answered, and we see Parker waking up as Lynette tucks him in, and he asks if it's morning yet, and she says not yet. Mary Alice then says that some questions are harder to ask as we're afraid of the answers, and we see Lynette watch the kids from the doorway as Mary Alice says, will I be around to see my children grow up? As soon as Mary Alice said that, I was like, don't do that, Mary Alice. Don't you dare. Don't, don't you do dare. this to me. I'm so fragile right now. She then asks, am I making a mistake by marrying this man? And we see a shot of Gabby watching as Victor discusses flower arrangements with the florist. Oh, so he is getting florist. involved in discussions. Could he truly love me? And we see a shot of Edie watching Carlos as he unpacks clothes. And what happens when we ask ourselves the hard question and we get the answer we were hoping for? And we see a shot of Susan cuddling up to Mike on the sofa. She then ends the episode saying, that's when happiness begins. And we see Susan and Mike smiling together before we fade to black. It's a cute little ending. It is a cute ending. They ended on Susan and Mike being all cute after that not-so-cuteness from Lynette and yeah. Tom. <laughs> yeah, we got a little palate cleanser. Yeah, so that was a sad episode. Again. Really. Again, another one. Yeah, because the show absolutely loves just throwing things at Lynette. Yeah. <laughs> what this show does well, though, is they make sure that it doesn't feel like sadness porn. Cough, the last season of Orange is the New Black. 
the last many seasons. Yeah. And it's just like one depressing thing after another and after another. Like they are so good at peppering it in with comedy. Like yeah. there. So that you you get the depressing thing, but then ten seconds later you're laughing your ass off. I think Edie's on a bit of a downward spiral. She's being so manipulative and doing so many things that she's kind of putting herself so high up that when she falls it's gonna hurt. Oh yeah. And the problem is she's created so many lies and so many situations now she is bound to lose track of it she is going to lose control of this so that was the end of the episode of desperate housewives we're now going to move on to our next segment where joel's going to give us the gayest and straightest moment so joel what do you have for the gayest moment so my award for gayest moment goes to Edie for getting the attractive man evicted so she can have access to regular dick that's the the gayest moment, okay. That was the gayest moment. Would you have said it's the gayest moment? No, I think it's good. I thought I think it's funny. I think that's a very gay thing to do. Doing do anything you can to get access to regular dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, Edie is a very... Edie is the gay moment most of the time. Edie is the gay moment most of the time. Very good. So congratulations, Edie. And what do you have for the straightest moment? <laughs> so my award for straightest moment... goes to mike and those fish photos that he has in his now old house fish photos yeah it's just photos of random fish on a white backdrop <laughs> just on the wall in his house what is what is it with you american straight men that just have photos of fish <laughs> that sounds like a strange background thing that you'd see in the simpsons yes very much and they were on his wall. And I did notice them once before. And I did have it as an idea for a straightest moment at some point. But it was such a brief, like, flickering thing. And I had a, I had a good straight moment for that at the time anyway. So I just kept it in my mind to keep an eye out for them again. And, and make sure they were still there. And they were still there. Were they photographs or paintings? No, just, like, pictures of fish. I don't think they, were, they definitely weren't paintings. But then again, what you consider a painting and a photograph, and what I consider a painting and a photograph, are two completely different things if this podcast has taught us anything. Are we really going to open up the whole <laughs> Rex and Brie wedding photo painting thing again? Yes, yes we are. We didn't really get much traction on the socials for that, but I we guarantee didn't. you that was a painting. That was not a painting. <laughs> Nobody oh. stands in that position long enough in the year 2000 to be painted like that all right it's a photo with a painting filter oh, it's, no. it's... do you really think brie would have a photo with a painting filter on it i don't think they had painting filters so it must have been a painting no it was not it was just a photo you're being ridiculous that's you're being on. ridiculous and though that's those are my awards for gayest and straightest moment they were okay thank you so now we move on to our next segment which is b's awards for best and worst parent and as per our discussion earlier, you don't have to give the awards to a person if there are no actual contenders for the award. Don't just give it to Edie for the sake of Edie being Edie. I okay? wasn't going to. <laughs> so, who do you have for best parent of the episode? My award for... Best parent of the episode. Um, goes to Edie. His face, guys. If you could I knew see you, it. I knew he was going to do it. I knew it. No, I'm joking. I don't actually have a best and worst parent award for this episode. There wasn't really any parenting. I'm, exactly. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, I could just give it to Edie for fun, but no. no there's um, there's no best and worst parent this episode. No. They really let me down, guys. They did. They did. You know what? No. We'll give it to Lynette for tucking in Parker. Oh, that's a cute one. And we'll also give the worst parents to Lynette for waking him up while doing it. <laughs> <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> 
so thank you so much for listening it's been eye-opening <laughs> it really has don't forget to message us about any double wedding shenanigans or any times that you've got someone else evicted <laughs> mm-hmm. or anything else that we mentioned in this podcast that you would love to talk to us about and we would love to hear and joel where can people find us so they can do that you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review our email address is boyfriends review at outlook.com and our artwork is done by louis who you can find on instagram at doc design he also has an etsy page and he does do commissions mm-hmm. join us next week we'll be back in your ears with season three episode 23 getting married today the last episode of season three the finale as as it were we've just done penultimate peril we have done penultimate peril and now we are on to the end getting married today (laughs) we'll see you then guys bye bye bye